Welcome back to another edition to the Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well this morning. Um, crazy action in the sports world last night. Uh, some NBA games and went down to the wire. Some big comebacks in in both games. A spectacular effort from Paul George, who's really stepping up for the Los Angeles Clippers in Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard's absence. Last night, um, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers choking a game away, kind of uh, like the Milwaukee Bucks did on Tuesday. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about the Montreal Canadiens evening, uh, evening their uh, Western Conference semi-conference uh, final with the Vegas Golden Knights last night. So we'll get into that. Uh, and also today, it's the start of the uh, U.S. Open at Torrey Pines in, uh, in the great city of San Diego. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I have an issue right off the top with, with the tournament, and uh, it's to do with the pairings. Uh, you know, it's we're not seeing two two big faces of the sport play together, and I think it's a missed opportunity. I think it's the US uh, USPGA really looking weak and 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 not doing the right thing. It's a, it's a television product, and I, I think they're missing out on a big opportunity for ratings and also just for entertainment and talking points throughout this weekend. But also a lot of firings in the NBA yesterday. Um, you know, a lot happening. Jason Spezza resigns in Toronto. Um, touch on that briefly. So a lot happening and we'll start, we'll start with the golf. And, you know, like I was just talking about what I wanted to see was Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka play together at the U S open Thursday, Friday, you know, it, it doesn't guarantee that they'll play each other on Saturday, Sunday on the weekend when they're both, you know, vying for the title, but I wanted them to play together because they hate they hate one another. They're both going at it on Twitter. They see, they have a beef, and it's just it makes a whole lot of sense to put these two pillars of the sport together. DeShambo is the reigning U.S. Open champion. Brooks Kepka is a four-time major winner, and they both have you know a stranglehold of the sport. They're both very popular, and they're only getting more popular because of their beef. You know, it's on Twitter. People are talking about it. It's one of the main talking points in sports. Um, you know, golf is a golf is a sport that happens year round, but I do think it's seasonal. Um, you know, in it gets popular in April because of the Masters. It's one of the best tournaments. You know, I don't care what tournament you could say, the World Juniors, the March Madness, the Masters is one of the best tournaments of the year. Then you go from about April to July, that's kind of the seasonal sport of golf. You know, people will tune in and out. They'll watch the majors. Maybe they'll tune in in late August to see the end of the uh, FedEx Cup and see who wins that. But it's not for casual fans. Golf is not like hockey or uh, baseball or uh, basketball, where it's kind of a year year round uh, obsession for you. you. You look, there's no free agency in golf. So you're really only tracking what's happening on the course. And so if it's, it's a sport that, that really only what matters is what happens on the course, why not put your two pillars together? And Brooks is playing in a good group. He's playing with Morikawa and he's playing with Justin Thomas. And yet that's great. You got three, you know, previous major winners together. And then you have Bryson in a group with Hideki Matsuyama, which I have no problem with. He won the masters this year. And the 2020 U.S. Open amateur champion, an amateur, is playing with those two? I mean, to me, this just smells of them putting in Bryson in, in a group 
that's really lackluster. Um, you know, he can carry his own group. The camera will go to him. Matsuyama won the Masters, so he, he deserves some credibility. But an amateur? Why isn't you know Rory McIlroy or Dustin Johnson playing with Bryson? Matsuyama is a very different player. He's, his demeanor is very different. You know, a DJ or a Rory playing with, with Bryson would be different than Hideki. Again, there's, there's the uh, language barrier that's different, but I want to see these two play together and see what happens when Bryson is taking forever to line up a putt. And if Kepka's sitting there just, you know, shaking his head or, you know, what, what's the interaction like, or, you know, if Kepka makes a big shot, he gets a fist pump. He kind of looks at the crowd. I want to see the interaction when Bryson's getting chirped by the gallery, you know, maybe if they're, uh, if he's getting chirped, how he reacts with Kepka, you know, a foot away from him. That's, that's television product. That's what you want to see. Of course, I'll, I'm watching the tournament regardless. You know, my weekend is going to be based around watching this tournament, obviously watching other sports as well. But you know, this, this is a big tournament. You know, it's a, it's a golf major. There's four of them a year. You get, you find the time to sit your ass down on the couch and watch these events. And I just think it's, it's such a blown opportunity and it's, you know, it, it's the U S U S open having no balls and doing what number one, what's right. And again, it's a television product. What, why wouldn't you want to tune in to see that you would. So now you're saying, okay, yep. We got this great group in the morning. Yeah. We got uh, Brooks and uh, Morikawa and Justin Thomas. Great. I, I love that group. And he say, well, who's Bryson playing with? Oh, he's with um, Hideki and uh, some amateur that we've never heard of. Oh, that's super compelling. Uh, yeah. So I, and now there, Brad Fax under the golf channel even reported that the U S open called Bryson and asked his permission to pair him with Brooks. And apparently he said, he didn't want to be paired with Brooks. Now he's since debunked that report, but I believe it. Uh, I, I don't think he wants anything to do with Brooks. And now all we can hope for as, you know, golf fans, especially me as, as a, you know, a, a talking head here, I hope they both play really well, you know, Thursday and Friday. So it's Saturday, Sunday, they're in contention. Guess what? It doesn't matter if Bryson doesn't want to play with Brooks. If they're one, two, if they're three, four in the leaderboard, you're playing together because that's just how it works. I hope Sunday that I kind of hope they're one, two, and they go into that day. And on, on the weekends at majors, there's only two people. It's two guys play together and it'd be Brooks and Bryson and not no third person to bridge that gap. You know, in my perfect world, Patrick Reed would have been playing with these two. Patrick Reed, you know, out in the woods, dropping two, three balls to see if he can get a better lie, you know, cheating uh, with these two, with these two, you know, looking to throw a fist at one another. But if they both play well, which they can do, Torrey Pines is a tough course. The U.S. Open every year, what it's known for is that they let the rough really grow out. And, you know, we saw that last year uh, with, uh, with uh, DeChambeau, where he just, he, he would hit it as far as he could and he'd get it in the rough, but he was so strong that he could get it out of there. A lot of players were bogey, double bogey. He would find a way to par a hole just by using his strength. 
it's similar here. It's, it's a different course, but don't expect to see high scoring. Uh, sorry, don't expect to see low scoring this weekend with, yeah, I think the winner of this tournament, it'll be 10 under or less because of how, just how tricky Torrey Pines is. And there are other storylines. You know, Phil Mickelson comes into the tournament after winning the PGA Championship at 50. It was his birthday yesterday, so he just turned 51, looking to go back-to-back. He lives in San Diego. Torrey Pines is really his home course. He's, you know, finished second place six different times at the U.S. Open. You know, winning this weekend would complete the, the, grand, the complete grand slam for him, winning every major at least once. I don't think that's likely to happen, but again, that's a storyline. You know, can Rory McIlroy get back on the right foot? Can he even compete for a major? Uh, you know, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, these guys haven't had great seasons. Uh, DJ missing the cut at the first two majors of the year. How will we do this week? Um, you know, after such a dominant season last year, winning the FedEx Cup, uh, having the one of the best runs, one of the best three to four month runs in golf history it is not you know switching to 2021 has not been a good thing for dustin johnson it's his game has really regressed and he's he, he's not able to hit the fairway with his driver you know he's spraying it all over the place so how will he do so there are storylines this week for sure and you know we see the two major winners so far this year the masters hideki matsuyama nobody had him winning then you had phil winning the pga which was another shock just being you know his age and the way he's played over the last three to four years, you never thought he'd be in contention, let alone win a major. So is there another shocker on our hands? Is there another Matsuyama out there that's going to break through and win their first major? I think of guys like Victor Hovland, Daniel Berger. These guys are consistently good players. You know, Morikawa was not a favorite to win the PGA last year, but he won it. I think if Berger could find his game, uh, Sam Burns, you know, Sam Burns is a guy who, he plays a lot of tournaments. He gets leads early. He, he's got the most 36 hole leads on tour this year. So could Sam Burns find some success? He had to pull out of the PGA, but he's healthy now after having some back issues. Does he find his game? So, you know, there's tons of storylines to watch. It's, it's a great tournament. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get this going. And, but I do hope that we do, we see some great play from those two men in particular and we get to see some Kekka and DeChambeau this weekend where they can both battle it out and uh, ultimately compete for the title late into the weekend. Cause that, that would just be great theater uh, down the stretch. If they're going, you know, birdie for birdie fist pumps, DeChambeau, uh, you know, doing his antics. So looking forward to, to that. Uh, hopefully we get at least get a glimpse of that sometime, uh, sometime this weekend. Before jumping into hockey, uh, the NBA, uh, it, it, it's, it's been a crazy year for the national basketball association. They finished the season of the NBA last year in the bubble in mid October. And they decided, you know, we're LeBron and, and co wanted to come back on, uh, Martin Luther King day, which is July. I believe it's July 18th, July 16th or July 18th. It's always a, uh, falls on one of that Monday and they wanted to start on that day, you know, a special day. It's an, a, a day of the NBA. I think a lot of people just, it's a, a great holiday in the United States. And it's one that's, you know, celebrated universally across the world. But, you know, the NBA said, 
you know, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting on Christmas and well, we're actually going to start December 22nd, but the 20, the first day, the 22nd was really secondary. Having games on Christmas day for the NBA is so important. And so some leagues can stand on their own without fans due to their television contracts. The national basketball association is one of them. The NFL, we see leagues like the CFL. They don't do that. Their rights with TSN, RDS, it's not strong enough. They need fan attendance. The NBA, the NFL, the NHL, they're not dependent on fans. That's just extra revenue. But especially, you know, with uh, NBA's a deal with TNT, Turner Sports, and, you know, the mothership, uh, they, they really, they bring in a lot of money from these huge TV games. So they start on Christmas. And really, it's been a season known for its injuries. You look at the start early on in the year, Anthony Davis, LeBron James go out injured, Joel Embiid, who's always injured, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, um, the Greek freak for a period of time this year was injured. It's just been a plethora of players where stars are missing games because of injuries. Jamal Murray blew out his ACL for the Denver Nuggets. You know, I'm missing guys here, but you see the point. Stars of the league are being injured and forced out of games and it's costing teams playoff series. You know, if the Denver Nuggets are healthy, would Jamal Murray at point guard? Number one, they're not getting swept by the Phoenix Suns. And I'm not sure the Phoenix Suns beat the Denver Nuggets. I mean, you have Nikola Jokic, the MVP. Jamal Murray is a, you know, a promising star. He really had his coming out party last year in the bubble. And the Denver Nuggets are just coming off getting to a conference final where they lost to LeBron, but you know, they put up a good fight. They came back from 3-1 down to beat the Clippers. They came on 3-1 down to beat the Utah Jazz. They are no joke. And, you know, you, the Lakers, you know, they finished in seventh because LeBron and Anthony Davis missed the last two months and change of the season. Then we come back to the playoffs. Anthony Davis re-injures his, uh, re-injures his hamstring. He can't play. The Lakers are bounced. And we heard LeBron complain about this yesterday about how, you know, they didn't get long enough rest, just pure rest. Just when the season ended, you know, the Lakers winning the title, they did not have a long time to sit there and just think about things. They had to gear up, start training again because the season started in less than two months. So long story short, I do think athletes need time to rest. And of course, you know, people like me were selfish. I, I want sports all the time. Um, I love watching hockey. Again, football is such a, you know, it's such a love hate for me because I love the sport more than anything. It's my favorite sport in the world, but you know, it's done in February. You don't get to see it again. Really. I mean, if you count preseason games, which I don't, I watch them, but uh, you know, it doesn't start again until the first week of September. It's a long break for somebody, a fanatic like myself, but you put up with it because you know the product's going to be good when it comes back. But in this case, the NHL, the NBA, they had to have a quick turnaround. And the NBA, I think you can look at a couple things here with, with what LeBron James is talking about before we get into the games last night. One, are these guys really in that good of shape? I think of James Harden. You remember at the start of the year, he, you know, got his way out of Houston by basically coming into camp 
you know, a, a fat mess. He was, he had, you know, a barrel and he, he was, he was going to games and you saw his face and he looked like he had, you know, it was 20 to 30 pounds overweight and he didn't, he was uninterested. He didn't want to stay in Houston. He wanted out and he got his way by basically pouting and being out of shape. And you, Anthony Davis, a guy who's always injured. I don't think he's in that good of shape. LeBron spends close to $2 million a year on his body to stay healthy. And before this year, he's played 18 years, played more minutes than any, almost anybody ever with no injuries. So he, you can't say LeBron isn't doing all that he can to stay healthy. But I think some guys just don't work as hard and it shows when it comes to injuries, Harden Davis, for sure. Kyrie Irving, it was a bad luck injury where he, he landed on Giannis and he, you know, rolled his, uh, rolled his knee. So he rolled his ankle, but that, that happens. But I, I think LeBron's argument, it makes sense for him because he's never injured and he got injured on in this year. So that, that's tough luck. But for guys like Anthony Davis, for guys like James Harden, I think it's just about coming in, into camp and into games in better shape. And, you know, if, if you're playing out of shape, you're doing, you're doing more, you're trying to do more with, with less because your body's just not going to let you. And eventually, you know, something's going to happen. And for those two guys to miss time, I, I think it tells you something about their fitness level. Um, but, you know, th- this year has really been defined by injuries. Ka- Kawhi Leonard did not play last night for the Los Angeles Clippers. He's one of the best players in the world. You know, you don't want to see that because you want to see a, a great product. You know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson was out for the year. Steph Curry, LeBron James are both not, you know, they're not playing right now. It's the second round of the playoffs. They're, they've been home for a good minute here, you know, golfing, preparing for the next season already. So it, it it's a different state of mind, but you still have stars. Kevin Durant is playing coming, you know, two years off of a terrible Achilles injury that, you know, could have ended his career, but he fought back and he's, you know, playing better than ever. Uh, and, you know, speaking of the, the late, the Clippers game last night, yesterday morning, it was a report came out that Kawhi Leonard was not going to play game five for the Los Angeles Clippers. And, you know, Kawhi is known for load management. It really started, uh, Greg Popovich started this kind of phenomenon in San Antonio with Tony Parker, with Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili in their heyday when they were competing for championships. He would sit them out on a back-to-back or he would, you know, he would keep guys home. Say they played a game of Thursday night in Memphis. He would keep them home, not even fly them to the game to rest and, you know, be ready for when it really counted the playoffs. And he did the same with Kawhi Leonard when he was a young player uh, in his time in San Antonio when they won a title in 2015 he was um, load managed that season. And so it carried on. You know, he left San Antonio, goes to Toronto. And, you know, in 2019, he played 60 some, I think he played 60 games, 22 games. He load managed. He'd sit out. They said they had the knee injury or they'd make something up and he wouldn't play. But Kawhi, he load managed. And for the Raptors, he played every playoff game. That season he did. He played every single playoff game. They had a seven-game series with the Philadelphia 76ers that went down to the wire. Six games with Milwaukee. Six games with 
the Golden State Warriors until they eventually won the championship. So he has a history of sitting out games, but not in the postseason. He does not quit on his team in the postseason. So his injury, I believe it's a serious one because he does not have a history of sitting out playoff games. You have to really be injured to sit out a playoff game. And, you know, he didn't play last night. It's reported that it's an ACL injury, potentially, you know, ACL, you obviously think of an ACL tear that he might need surgery to repair it. So obviously all the best to Kawhi, but that's not good news for the, for the Clippers or, you know, himself. Um, But nevertheless, they go into last night's game and the Clippers win at Utah, one of the craziest buildings in the NBA, 118-111, and take a 3-2 series lead. And last night was a huge performance by Paul George. Paul George is a is a polarizing figure because he's a guy who gave himself his own nickname, Playoff P. And that's been a joke for a long time because he's been a terrible playoff performer. In Oklahoma City, he was shown up by Damian Lillard. In Indiana, he was, you know, beaten by LeBron James time after time. Last season in the bubble for the Clippers, he took a shot to win a game and he hit off the side of the of the backboard. It, it was it was ugly. He's had a terrible playoff history. But so far this postseason, he's shown up. He's averaging close to 30 points a game. And last night, just to pull up his stat line here, he he took the team on his back last night and really showed people you know, a different side of Paul George scoring 37 points, grabbing 16 rebounds, five assists in 40 minutes of play. And it was a, it was a night where no Kawhi, but they had contributions. Marcus Morris senior had 25 points in back-to-back games. Reggie Jackson had 22 points. He's had a great postseason. And on the contrary for, for the jazz, they, they made 17 three-pointers in the first half, which is unheard of. But they only had a five-point lead at the half. That shouldn't be happening. And a big reason for that was you know, their lack of defensive play. They were letting – the Clippers were getting whatever they wanted, and eventually the three-pointers cool off. By the end of the game, the Clippers had a better three-point uh, shooting percentage than the um, – than the uh, Utah Jazz. Bogdanovich had 18 points in the first quarter. He finished with with, uh, 32, solid game for him. But Donovan Mitchell only had 21 last night with five assists. That's not good enough. Rudy Gobert had 17 points, 10 assists, 17 points, the most he's ever, he's had in this series. But you got to look for more. Jordan, and a big part of this team is, is Jordan Clarkson off the bench. Because their bench is weak. Favors, Niang, they really they don't have any trustworthy guys out there. Clarkson only put up 15 points. He's a guy that needs to put up 20-plus if they're going to win. And this was a terrible loss. Like I said, no Kawhi Leonard. It doesn't sound like he's going to play in Game 6 Friday night. But you know, the Clippers are in the driver's seat. They have home court now. Game 6 is in L.A. They can finish the series. You know, Heading back to Utah is not a great thing for – for the Clippers because it's a tough building, a game seven uh, to, to win there. Uh, but you know, you have home court now. You've got some confidence. And Paul George is playing out of his mind. He's not afraid to take the big shots. He's not afraid to be the alpha because he did it last night. He, he did what, you know, he didn't do what Kevin Durant did the night before, 
but he did all that he could do last night and the team won. And that's the biggest deal here that he came out to play and, and he showed what he can do. So kudos to him, to, to Paul George, you know, he gave himself that stupid nickname, which, you know, don't give yourself a nickname. Uh, but he's backing it up this year. You know, he said it was going to be a different year for the Clippers. And if he's without Kawhi Leonard, I don't think they can win the title. Um, I do think they can win the series. Uh, winning last night, they have, like I said, win game six. I don't like their chances of winning a game seven in Utah just because I think, you know, the Jazz will find their success. They'll get through that. But if I think their best chance, obviously, win at home Friday night, take care of that business. And then you got the Phoenix Suns who, you know, they've been sitting out since last Sunday, so they'll be well-rested. But Chris Paul is in the COVID protocol right now. I don't know if he's tested positive or what's happened, but he's ineligible to play. If the game was tonight, he would not be playing. So maybe if you finish off the series, Chris Paul is not available to start the series. I mean, that's a huge, huge loss. He's, you know, the the straw that stirs the drink in Phoenix. They do have Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, but he's their veteran presence. And it would be interesting to see Chris Paul uh, play against um, the Los Angeles Clippers. Obviously, that he spent like a good part of his career in LA. You know, when Blake Griffin, when DeAndre Jordan were at their peak, uh, the Lob City era, and um, you know they didn't have a great divorce. Uh, he and Blake Griffin weren't the best of friends, and you know he left. Uh, you know he, they parted ways not so amicably. So I'm sure they both love to do some damage against one each against one another. And also Devin Booker and Paul George do have a good little rivalry themselves. So that would be a compelling series, but kudos to Paul George and for Utah play some defense and, you know, you got to find a way. Kawhi Leonard's not playing. There's no excuse why you don't win this series. You have the better team. You have the best record in the NBA all year. And then they're with your, the Clippers are without their best player and one of the top three or four best players in the NBA and you lose a home game in the playoffs. That just can't happen. So kudos to the Clippers, but Utah, you got to bounce back and you got to find a way to do it quick because the game's tomorrow night. Another action in the NBA last night, it looked like it was going to be, you know, just a a routine night for the Philadelphia 76ers. They, they blew a game in game four uh, where they had a, 16 point lead. It was a, just a massacre uh, where they Joel Embiid went over 12 in the fourth quarter. He uh, looked like his injury was really flaring up for him and he just, he couldn't find his game, but you know, start last night Embiid had 23 points in the first half. He was dominating. Clint Capella could not guard him. Um, he had tons of confidence and you know, the, so did the, the 76ers. Seth Curry was making threes. You had Cork Moss get, getting open shots. Uh, Tobias Harris, you know, less efficient, but you had Seth Curry and really Joel Embiid going back and forth, being dominant and being uh, really uh, effective scorers. But, you know, they get to the half and they're up by over 20 points. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be another beat. This is going to be a beat down. This, this one is, you know, it's going to be a crappy game. So I start watching Montreal Vegas but I kind of have both screens going. I'm looking at this game and the game just starts to keep, keep getting knocked down. John Collins is making shots. You got Trey young who just, 
he's so young that he, he doesn't, you know, pun intended, that he doesn't um, realize the moment. He's not afraid of the moment. You see guys, they've been in the playoffs so many times, they think about their past success, I think, and it gets to their head. Trey Young, this is his first career playoff. You know, this is his first playoff. He doesn't care. He's, he's playing, you know, for broke. He's doing what he can to try to get the Atlanta Hawks to a conference final. And he's making threes. He's passing the ball, but he's being aggressive. He's getting to the paint, making floaters, not settling for the three-point shot, which is not his which is not his best attribute as a player. He's not a great three-point shooter. And, you know, he's getting to the paint. He's doing what he can do. And they just keep whittling down the lead. Uh, and we get to the last five minutes of the game. They're stuck six. John Collins makes a three, makes it a three-point game. We go back down the floor. Tobias Harris can't make a shot. So he he miss, he misses it, goes back down the floor. Danilo Gallinari off the bench makes a clutch three. And that's another big point of this game. The bench of the Atlanta Hawks, Gallinari, who's a start, he was a starter in Oklahoma City last year, a really good player in this league, 16 points. Lou Williams, who was traded from the Clippers for Rajon Rondo, 15 points off the bench. You know, he's a five-time uh, six, six man of the year. He knows what, what to do in these moments. He put up 15 last night. So these guys are contributing. And then, you know, Trey Young just doing his thing again. He makes a, a tough shot in the lane and one, puts the Hawks up three. And it's at this point that the, uh, the Hawks are up 107-104 with 10 seconds left. And Joel Embiid gets to the foul line. He misses both free throws. It, that just can't happen. Uh, he misses both. And at this point, the second one rattles out. They grab Atlanta grabs the rebound. And, uh, Philly has to foul. Trey Young knocks down both free throws. Atlanta ends up winning the game 109-106, erasing a 26-point deficit after erasing an 18-point deficit in game four and taking a 3-2 series lead, winning the game in Philadelphia. And it, you know, it, Philly shot 60% from the free throw line last night, 23 of 38. And, you know, Atlanta wasn't great either. They were 78.6, but 60%. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons was one for seven from the free throw line last night, their point guard. He's shooting just above 30% from the free throw line in the playoffs. And, you know, we've seen Atlanta go to you know, turn the page last night. There, you remember back in the day, it was hack a Shaq. Shaq's on the floor. You hack him. He goes to the free throw line. He's going to brick them. Ben Simmons is in that territory right now. He can't make them. He has no confidence at the line. And Atlanta, you know, Nate McMillan, to his credit, saying he's on the floor. Let's make them pay for it. And Doc Rivers, late in the game, had to take him out on an offensive possession, sorry, on a defensive possession, because they didn't want him to get fouled after uh, Atlanta shot. And for for their two stars, Embiid, he had a good, really good game: thirty-seven points, thirteen rebounds. He he was really he was strong in the first half, but you got to make your free throws. If you're, you don't got to be a great three-point shooting team, because Neither of them are. Philly shot 43%. Atlanta only shot 34.6%. But you you gotta you gotta be better at um, 
in this in this position. And they just weren't last night. So, and also for Philly, Simmons, Tobias, Tobias Harris had four points last night. Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were the only two players on the 76ers to make a field goal in the second half for the entire team. That That's just not good enough. I mean, how is that even possible? Two players, you're the only two to make a field goal in the entire half. And somehow somehow that, that happened last night for, for Philly. But I can't imagine what the Philadelphia radio is going to be like today with the 76ers just crushing a game. That they should have won two in a row. The series should be over. Now they're in tough, heading back to Atlanta in a must-win on Friday. And you know, credit Nate McMillan, who took over midway through the year. Credit, credit Trey Young, who's just not afraid to be himself to play. Guys like Gallinari, Lou Williams, John Collins. This team is so young. They do have some uh, veterans in there, but they just play. They're not afraid of the big moment. And there's no lead that they're, they're going to keep chipping away. With five minutes left, they were down eight. They shouldn't have won the game last night. But Philly had nobody who could knock down shots. Seth Curry missed a chance to tie the game with 40 seconds left. And Bede misses free throws. Tobias Harris had four points for the entire game. Doc Rivers has got to be beside himself today. And again, this is Doc Rivers. He's had he's blown two 3-1 leads in his career. And maybe three now. He's, he's done that a lot. He had a 2-1 in this series, obviously, but you have these big leads. You got to close out games. As a coach, make adjustments. And you got to hope that MB can play well in Atlanta. He didn't in game four. He didn't play great in game three either. So we'll see what they can bring. But for Philly. Embiid needs to be Embiid, but a guy like Tobias Harris, you make over $30 million a year. You're paid to be a, a, a co-star on this team. Be better. For Ben Simmons, I don't expect his free throw shooting to improve all that much, but get to the paint at least. Drive the ball. Be a factor. Last night in the game, he was just a non-factor. He's sitting, he's standing there just being a guard gnome. Do something productive for this team. You can pass the ball better than, you know, almost better than anybody in the NBA. Do that effectively, at least. But we'll see what happens. But an ugly, ugly performance by the Philadelphia 76ers last night that ultimately they blow a huge lead. Now they're they're on their face uh, Friday night uh, in Atlanta. So congr- congrats to the Hawks, who are now one win away from the conference finals. The NHL, uh, go through the, you know, obviously that's one of the key focuses on this pod, but I thought the NBA was was great last night, so I wanted to get to that first. Um, game two, uh, Montreal at Vegas last night. And game one was all about the Vegas Golden Knights defense core and, you know, getting six points in the back end from, you know, the likes of Zach Whitecloud, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez. And it was a really uh, productive game one where, you know, they, they won rather easily, but again, I thought Montreal brought some good elements to that game. And especially the first period, it was really a, a tight hockey game. So, you know, Montreal last night, they, I said they had a good first period in game one. They brought that to game two. They were ultra aggressive in, in the first period. They did not let Vegas set up. When Vegas got the puck, they, a guy was on them. And they just, they, they, their, their forecheck was phenomenal last night, especially in the first two periods, uh, in my opinion. They, 
they just were all over anything that they wanted to do. They, they, they got, they got done, you know, ultimately uh, they, they forecheck, they caused turnovers. Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez, a strong defensive pair were pinned in their zone for a minute and a half, two different times in the first period. And, you know, that Shea Theodore didn't have a great game last night because he was turning the pucks over left and right after a strong game one, the Montreal forecheck was really getting to them. And, you know, it started, you know, the goal started with ultimately the fourth line uh, for Montreal with this, this line has been, you know, a, a cast off line where you got Corey Perry, who couldn't get a job. Then you got Eric Stahl, who was really dumped from Buffalo. And, you know, the deer activated uh, Eric Stahl's behind the net cause it Ryan Reeve turnover. He's battling for the puck. Um, he turns the puck over. Martinez gets the puck back. That, that puck's turned over again, but uh, gets back to the point, hits a body, puck bounces back to uh, Yol Armia. He's in a good spot, and he beats Fleury, uh, just beating his blocker, putting it behind him to make it one nothing. This is Armia's fifth goal of the postseason. This fourth line of Montreal is just, you know, they say they don't have first, second, third, fourth lines. It's true. And what I said about these two teams throughout the regular season, if you remember, I think they're constructed the best when it comes to just a team. They, they both have element. They're just well-constructed groups. The, the Vegas Golden Knights are a strong team. You look at their lines, they have every bit of it, their defense core, their lines. Montreal's the same way. We see who scores goals in this game. It's not all about, they don't, does Montreal have a superstar? No. Does Vegas? Mark Stone's a really, really good player, but I think the term superstar is thrown around too much. You know, you could argue, you know, Carey Price is a superstar for Montreal, but is Marc-Andre Fleury, is Alex Petrangelo? It's a gray area. Um, but they have some, they both have really, really good players on this team. So um, that makes it one nothing. Uh, and then, you know, a little later, we see... Uh, First period is dominated by Montreal, 12 to four shots on goal. And um, it, it really was Montreal's period. Later uh, in the second period, uh, sorry, later in the first period, Vegas uh, ices the puck, but can't do that. And we see it's a key uh, theme in the series. Teams that are losing faceoffs in the defensive zones, goals are coming quickly after it happens. And it happened for Vegas last night on a Petrangelo goal, uh, but it also happened here where they ice the puck. Suzuki wins the draw. Caulfield's in a battle along the boards. He fights to get the puck back to the point to Petrie. Petrie kind of skates to the middle, passes it back to Caulfield. Caulfield skates in. He's uh, skating towards the net, and he finds Toffoli, who's just sitting there in the middle of the ice. Toffoli gets a shot. It's not the best shot. It hits a stick on the way to the net. Flurry's also sliding too much, beats him five hole. Ugly goal for Flurry, one he'd want to have back. And um, it makes it uh, two nothing for Montreal. And I also want to touch on this because, you know, it's been a narrative this year that all these star players who've had great regular seasons are out of the playoffs. And a lot of them are, uh, you know, Connor McDavid, Matthews, Pasternak, uh, Marner. You know, the dry side, the list goes on. You know, the most of the guys in the Canadian division, but McKin McKinnon's in there too, Randon. 
But there's a player who had a pretty damn good regular season, and I heard a lot of people call it a fluke. Oh, he'll never do that again. Well, I don't, I don't care. He's doing it right now. Tyler Toffoli, he had a great regular season. He was the big reason why Montreal made the playoffs because Carey Price wasn't playing then. Their defense wasn't that great. But he was scoring in a night-in, night-out basis. Guess what? That's carried over to the playoffs. He's got an eight-game point streak, which is the longest in the playoffs by any player this year. Eight games. He's scoring goals. He's contributing. His start against Toronto was not great. But that was that was two series ago. He's put since about game four against Toronto. He's been one of the be, one of the best players in the playoffs. Period. End of story. And he had a great regular season, and it's carried over. So I I just think you got to give your flowers to guys that can do it in both seasons, regular and post. And he's done both. All those other guys haven't, but it's not just all, all of these great players are all Tyler DeFoley is a really good player. You know what? Another thing about Tyler DeFoley, he's a winner. He's got two Stanley cups. He's got that pedigree. It's not just, well, he had one good year. He'll never have that year again. It's a shot in the pan for Tyler DeFoley. Okay. Okay. He'll score 25 goals next year. Is that so bad? It's a pretty good season. 25 goal score. Uh, and if he brings it in the playoffs, then I don't really give a shit if he scored 50 goals. McDavid and, and Matthews and Dreisaitl, Marner, McKinnon, all these guys put up crazy numbers, 100 tight point seasons. What does it get you? First tee on the golf course, I guess. You work on your short game a lot longer than everybody else. But I just thought it's important to point that out. It's not just the great players that are that are out that have terrible postseasons. Toffoli had a great regular season. He's having a great postseason too. And um, you know, he continues scoring goals and being a productive player while the others aren't. But that there's just a little there's always a rant on the podcast, and that had to happen because that doesn't get brought up enough. Um so makes it two nothing. Second period, Vegas was the better team. Uh in spurts, but they, they were getting great offensive zone time. They were getting high quality scoring opportunities at the 619 gone into the period. Alec Martinez had a beautiful opportunity and he was robbed by Carey price. He had him, but Carey price caught him at the back of the blocker. You could say that it was more it hit price and he made the save, but nevertheless, the puck did not go in. It was a beautiful feed from Alex Petrangelo cross ice. And Martinez just couldn't put it past Carey price kept the game at two nothing. Um, and that this is really a strong game, Alex Petrangelo uh, in particular for, for Vegas, but in both, both games start the series, Alex Tuck has been a really good player for Vegas. Every time he's on the ice, he's got energy. He's getting high quality scoring opportunities and his line doesn't get caught in their own zone. Last night, I think you saw a lot stone patch ready, and uh, Nicola Waugh were pinned in their own zone. You know, Chandler Stevenson was out last night uh, for, for Vegas. Jeff Petrie came back in for Montreal. John Merrill replaced Romanoff. Uh, I don't know why, but, um, you know, that's another story for another day. But um, you see, they missed Stevenson. And Stone and Patrick Eddie, Patrick Eddie rang one off the post in the second period 
you know, he's got one of the best wristers in the NHL, but they haven't been that productive yet. They need more from those two. That's the, that's the, the straw that stirs the drink in, in Vegas. They haven't been good enough. He, they need to find more from, from them. But so it's a strong period from Vegas, but they haven't been able to beat Carey Price. You know, they're out shooting them at, at this point um, about 15 to four, but with two minutes, two fifteen remaining in the second. Kakaniemi's got the puck. He's got to break the puck out of the zone. He hammers it off the boards and it goes into the neutral zone. And Vegas has got some players pinned in their own zone. Um, they're kind of stuck out there. And who comes flying down the ice but Josh Anderson? He's in a battle with defenseman Nick Holden. And they kind of they both grab each other and they're kind of in a battle for the puck. But Anderson kind of veers veers him towards the corner so that he can't get the puck and it's not interference. There's nothing wrong. It's just a battle where they both are lifting each other's sticks and the puck just continues uh, down toward Marc-Andre Fleury and behind Josh Anderson. And I think he knew this is just knowing your line mate. It's Paul Byron, one of the fastest skaters in the NHL. Byron gets the puck. Fleury doesn't know what to do. Decides to go for the poke check. Bad decision. Byron keeps, you know, gets past the stick, goes backhand shelf, makes it three, nothing Montreal. And this was a tough goal. It looked like it might be curtains. This was at the end of the second period and um, Byron uh, ended up being the game winning goal, but a really smart hockey play by Josh Anderson, where I think he knew who was behind him. You know, your line mates, he knows KK broke the puck out. Who's your other winger. It's Byron. He's so fast. He's quick. We've seen him score breakaway goals before. And he, he scores on the play, you know, to full uh, Anderson doesn't get a point on that play, but you know, I think he, he should retroactively just for making that play and getting Nick Holden away from, from getting the puck a minute and two seconds later, Alex Petrangelo, there's a draw one. Like I just said, you want to draw, there's a quick goal. Petrangelo gets a shot from the point, hits a shin pad of Montreal defenseman and beats carrier price makes it three, one. And with six minutes left in the third, Petrangelo added his second of the night. You know, he should have had three points. I mentioned Martinez getting robbed. He made that great pass. He gets two goals, but ultimately Carey Price made some big saves down the stretch, uh, making a big save on Patrick with 35 seconds remaining to keep the game, keep the game, uh, keep the Montreal ahead. And, you know, Montreal, to their credit, they got outshot by, by eight shots, but they played a strong game. Um, they, they took two penalties, but they killed them both off. Vegas really didn't have that good of opportunities. And they won the face-off battle by – they won the face battle 35-25. And they, they went on a face-off. They went on a, on a breakout. Simple things that you know, teams work on. Again, Montreal is not the most skilled team in the world, but simple things that you, you can work on day in, day in, day out. This team does it efficiently. And – Last night, it was a pillar to them winning that they won their face-offs, they broke out of their zone efficiently, and they gave Vegas no time with the puck. And for Vegas, I look at last night and say, you played a strong game. You know, in the second and third period, second and third periods, I think they were the better team. And I think they are the better team in general. But that doesn't mean you're going to win the series. You know, on paper, Toronto is the better team than Montreal, who won. On paper, Colorado is a better team than Vegas, but Vegas beat them. So things can happen where 
the best team does not always win the series. And for Vegas, I got to look at this. Number one, Marc-Andre Fleury, I thought he was very good in game one. He did not play great last night. He needs to be better if they're going to win this series. You're going up against Carey Price. This isn't Philip Grubauer anymore. You're playing against a Hall of Famer, a Hart Trophy winner. You need to you need to play better than that. That's a Foley goal that can't go in. No time. The Paul Byron goal, I don't love the way you approached it. Uh, you know, Paul Byron, he's a fast skater, but do you need to poke check him? Make the save. He's not an elite goal scorer. That's not what he, that's not what he's known for. So I think he needs to be better. The second thing, win your face-offs. Um, you know, if you're going to ice the puck, you can ice the puck if you feel you can win the draw and you feel comfortable with it. You shouldn't against this team. Suzuki, he's proving more and more every night that he's going to be the next Patrice Bergeron to me. He may never put up an 80 to 90 point season, but this guy is 200 foot player. He wins his draws. He's super smart. And he's, he's just a gamer. That's how I would describe Nick Suzuki. The guy just knows how to play the game. And he, again, a guy who's a kid who's not afraid of the big moment and he'll take those draws for this team and he'll do it efficiently. And I love the way that he's played in this series. Again, not many points, but the little things he's doing right. And this is a small tweak and this line gets scored on. I would not be playing Ryan Reeves in this series. I love I like Ryan Reeves. You know, as you know, I love physical players. But if the matchup's going to be the fourth line of Montreal against the fourth line of Vegas, not, there's no way they can win that. I'd rather have a Thomas Nosek. I'd rather have um, a William Carey on that line that, than Reeves. Because that line, he's too slow and he's getting beat to pucks faster. You need a faster guy who can compete against Perry, against Stahl. Reeves just isn't quick enough to get to those pucks. And again, normally I hate when a fourth liner is scratched after a loss, but there's a tangible evidence here. They got scored on in the game and he was really a non-factor. And when he was on the ice, they were hemmed in their own zone a lot. The fourth line of Montreal rarely gets into trouble. There are three veteran forwards that know how to play, especially this time of year. And they know where they're going to be on the ice. And I I discredit them a ton. And for Vegas, they need Patrick, they need Stone to step up. I mean, Petrangelo scored both goals last night. They they have eight points, or sorry, nine points by defensemen in two games. Is that going to carry over? You can't expect that the whole series. You need guys like Patrick, Stone, uh, Riley Smith, show up in these next couple of games, really produce. They got to hope Chandler Stevenson's okay. He's a big loss. You know, Patrick Brown uh, is not, you know, he fits into that fourth line. Nick Waugh is a good player, but you want Nicola Waugh to be a third line center, not on that top unit. So they got to hope for some health here. But for Vegas, you're heading to Montreal. There's only going to be 3,500 fans after the craziness in Vegas. So get used to that and get some bodies in front of Price. You see the goal that Petrangelo scored. Both of them are, are, are from the point. One hit a shin pad. You know, get some bodies in front of make life difficult. That's how you won game one. Theodore scored in game one from a shot from the point where Price did not see it. Eric Gustafson was in front, was in front of him. So we'll see how they do game three tomorrow night in Montreal. Um, tonight is game three between Tampa and the Islanders, uh, all even at one. Uh, 
you know, four teams remaining, they're all seven wins away from winning the Stanley cup, which is pretty cool uh, at this stage of the, of the season. But Tampa comes back after losing game one, where they really, they had a lackluster effort and a great defensive performance from the New York Islanders. And Tampa really, you know, they popped their chest out in game two, in my opinion. Uh, you can look at that game and look at the narratives where the officiating was God awful. Uh, I, I've never, uh, you know, the Dan, O'Rourke, Dan O'Rourke, I think wanted to be the whole show in game two and he tried his damnedest to be uh, the, the Braden point goalie interference penalty. I, I don't know how the hell that's goalie interference. Uh, the guy shoves you into the goalie. Uh, what the hell are you supposed to do? Uh, and credit to Braden point for in the media where he said it's a tough position and you know, the ref's got a tough job. That's not how I would answer that. Uh, I would have been a little bit more um, callous with, uh, with the officials, but you know, kudos to him for having that sense of decorum and you know, staying calm under pressure. But, um, and then there's the too many men goal, which kind of evened up because on that Braden point goal interference penalty, Brock Nelson scores, then Stamco scores with seven guys on the, on the ice for Tampa Bay. So both coaches had their, you know, had, had a right to be pissed off at the officiating in game two. But in the grand scheme of things, I think that the better team won in game two. Uh, you look at the big boy showed up, Nikita Kucherov. To me, if Tampa won the cup, say the cup was handed out today and Tampa won it, he would be the consummate trophy winner. Um, he, he did not play a single game in the regular season because of hip surgery. And he's come into the postseason and he leads the, the league in points. Two points the other night, beautiful assist on the, on the point goal. Just, he's so patient. He's so creative with the puck and it's, it's just phenomenal watching him do work. And I love what he brings to the table night in, night out. And he, he, he's just such a smart player. He's a, he's won a cup obviously with Tampa last year. And he's just, he's a gamer and he's a winner. After game one, where he wasn't very good, he comes back and puts out a great performance. That's what great players do. You shake off a poor game and you don't let it fester into game two. You bring it the very next chance that you get. And he did that last night for Tampa. And, you know, they finally get some goal scoring from the back end. Hedman and Jan Ruda both score in game in game two. They had not had a goal by defenseman in this playoffs before that, which is crazy. Hedman had nine last year for Tampa, you know, along with his constant trophy win, but he finally gets off the schneid. Maybe he can find some success, start burying some goals, but tonight they head back to Nassau veterans Memorial Coliseum, not an easy building to play in uh, as, as you all know, uh, watching this postseason. and, you know, Barry Trotz gets the last change. And again, I've said this from the beginning and I'm not going to stop Martin Sezikis Clutterbuck against point Kucherov and Palat. That is my matchup. Sorelli and Kalorn and Stamkos can play against anybody. I put, preferably, I put Pajo, Palmieri, and uh, Zajac against that line. And then you got Coleman, the third line checking line for Tampa. Play Nelson, Bailey against them. And then you get a good matchup uh, with Barzell. You know, you can filter, obviously you can filter him in against different lines. But on a normal basis, have that'd be the matchup you have last change Tampa's a more skilled group than you 
do what you can do with home ice. You have home ice now. You've got the split heading back, and that's all you can ask for. Use home ice to your advantage. And I play that fourth line against Braden Point and, and, uh, and those guys. And for the Islanders, I love the physicality. This series has been really chippy. We see Martin and, and Pat Maroon drop the gloves in game two. It's getting spirited. Don't take stupid penalties. That's one thing. Because even for Tampa, I think both power plays have been really, really good. But Tampa's is lethal. Don't take a bad penalty just to prove, you know, to prove a point here. Do what you got to do. And for, for a guy like John Cooper, tell Pat Maroon, do not get that extra shot. Do not take, do not be the guy to go to the box if they take one. That can't be you. Uh, you know, we, we've got to stay out of the box because the Islanders power play is really good too. You know, it's quietly, they don't have a whole lot of superstars on it, but they find ways to score goals. Brock Nelson scored in the power play in game two. We see them do it. So um, the power special teams can be critical tonight, but for the Islanders, use what you have. And that's last change. Use it to your advantage and use it efficiently to try to win the game tonight. For Tampa, you can work around that because you have so much skill. You know, uh, work, you know, make quick changes. We see the Islanders do that all the time where to start the game, they got the fourth line. But if, if they're on against Coleman, we see Sezikis go to the bench right away because they want a different matchup. Do that tonight. Do the, you know, do what you got to do. And, but for, for Tampa, play your game and uh, don't, you know, don't let the Islanders control pace. But something to also watch out for. I don't know why Tampa continues to do this, but they throw these cross-ice passes in their own zone. Why? The Islanders are always there. They're the, the best positionally defensive team in the NHL. They're always there. They got a stick in the lane. It's too dangerous. Make a simpler play. Just watch for that tonight to see if they do it, because it happens a lot, where you see Savard go cross-ice to Chernak or Sergachev to McDonough. And I'm like, why are you taking that risk? You don't need to. That's too fancy a play against this team. Some teams, they're not going to be in position. You know, they're just, they won't. You know, Buffalo or New Jersey, the crap teams. Yeah, they don't, they won't even know what to do in that situation. But the Islanders, the most coached team in the league and the most situationally defensive strong team in the league, they know what the hell they're doing. They watch film. And for Tampa, don't get caught in that trap because they're going to make you pay. Barzell did it in game one on his goal to make it one, nothing. It was because of that type of play where he stole the puck. He goes in on a partial breakaway. He beats Vasilevsky. Um, but game three tonight should be another great game. Uh, so far, I, the conference finals have been really good, tight, tight games, no blowouts. So I, I like to see that. Um, and, and also tonight you got the Milwaukee Bucks against the Brooklyn Nets game six. No Kyrie Irving, but it sounds like uh, James Harden will play. And we'll see how Ky uh, Kevin Durant backs up his record-setting performance in, in game five, where he went for 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, playing all 48 minutes. Well, he was just iconic. Uh, he's one of the best players. Uh, you know, in, I think he's the best player in the world. I think he really showed people that he is the other night. But can he finish off the Bucs tonight in Milwaukee? That would be an impressive performance. Milwaukee, they got to be looking in the mirror saying, you know, Harden, he played 46 minutes the other night, but he was not himself. He was a non-factor, really. Um, 
we can't beat Kevin Durant by himself. Giannis said he wants to guard KD. Well, let's see it. Let's see what you got. Because PJ Tucker, you know, he's done a, a decent job in this series so far. Games three and four, he was really good. But the other night, he was no match, and he ended up, you know, getting no points and playing over 30 minutes on the floor. And I think if Milwaukee goes out tonight, Mike Budenholzer will be his last game behind the bench for the Milwaukee Bucks after three to four years of, you know, becoming first in the East and getting close, but not being able to get over the hump, not even, you know, getting to a conference, you know, getting past the conference finals. So we'll, we'll see what happens tonight. That's game six. You also got the Blue Jays finishing up their series with the New York Yankees tonight. They've lost three in a row, uh, losing Monday night in extras to the, the Red Sox, losing Tuesday night uh, after Clint Frazier had a, 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 a pinch hit double uh, to make it 6-5. And then last night, uh, Gary uh, Gary Sanchez hits a uh, pinch hit two-run homer in the seventh inning off Ross Stripling. The bullpen continues to struggle for the Blue Jays, but um, they had their chances last night in the ninth where Raldis Chapman gave up leadoff singles to – uh, a single to Vladdy and then a double to Teoscar Hernandez, but they couldn't drive any of them in. So we'll see what they can salvage tonight at home against the Yankees before starting a weekend series with the Baltimore Orioles. So I could have gotten more today, a lot of firings in the NBA, but we'll, I'll be back tomorrow to recap the games tonight. Also doing a podcast tomorrow with a uh, good podcast buddy, Casey Ward. We'll, We'll dive into a lot of uh, different things. Golf, uh, base, he's a big baseball guy. We'll talk some hockey as well. And then later this weekend, I'll be joined by Matt Wright, where we'll, um, we're going to talk, you know, we're going to bounce around and talk about a lot of things. He's a big Rangers fan. So I'm going to get his take on Turk Gallant and what he wants to see happen for his franchise moving forward. So as always, have a great Thursday, everybody. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk soon.